Ownership is all about building on your own success with your own self-discovery. Your life is your business. Take ownership of it. Together, let's unlock the next level of your life. Ownership is here to help lead you without all the noise and distractions. There are hot topics and lessons in life to keep you entertained, gain value, and even some enlightenment all along the way. Ownership is brought to you by Allison Andrews Cantor, a certified coach and business leader with over 20 years of experience under her belt. A battle-born and proven successful entrepreneur, she is on a mission to help individuals take back ownership of their personal life. So are you ready? Let's go. Here she is, your host, Allison Andrews Cantor. Oh my gosh, here we are. It is episode seven and our topic today is ownership of mind and drugs. We're going to be talking about your mind and drugs, all that fun stuff. Oh my gosh. First of all, can we just do a real quick acknowledgement and my deep, deep thank you to my producer, Mr. Brown, Jay Brown, the one and only. Thank you. You. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing here too. It's good stuff. You're good stuff. I try. No, I love, I adore you. I love you. I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. I love our banter. I like the fact that we disagree in the most supportive, safe ways. <laughs> and you know, what's funny. I need to call this out because this is something that's really important. I think for a lot of people right now is it's really important to find your friendships and space with the opposite sex that is safe. And when I say safe, I mean like really safe, like that deep vulnerability of comfort being your raw self that you know you are held in it and it's okay to be there. And I have that with you. And I appreciate that because it's been very um, cathartic and healing for me to find safe space with men, especially um, working with men. And I've always had that throughout my career, like Louie from 656, shout out to you. You're another one of my my ride or die bestie guys. But Jay, this, this project just wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you. And I appreciate that. That's what 10 years of friendship does. It's true. It really, it, it really is true. And when we're talking about topics that are vulnerable and raw, and a lot of people have a lot of opinions about them, um, it has to be in a safe space. And I like the balance of our masculine to feminine outlooks. I think that's really important for our listeners. I think that's really important in the world is not just to have one vantage point. You have to have both. It has to balance. So you got a good one. Mind and drugs. Whee, here we go. Yeah. So let, let, let's get this off. So so when we're, we're talking about drugs. It's what? Anything that can alter your physical mind, physical body and state of mind, correct? Yeah. So the reason why this topic is even relevant, I actually wrote about it in the book, is because right now there's such an interesting landscape when it comes to mental health. Mental health is absolutely huge. And there's a lot of other tools in the toolbox that have been talked about that people have never considered or have considered or have done before, but they were under the construct of being negative, bad, subculture, hidden, what have you. Um, and I also want to talk about also this huge uh, new wave of non-alcoholic mocktail uh, 
aperitifs that have no alcohol. I mean, this, there's just such a cool, there's so much cool stuff going around here that can be really utilized as a tool in our well-being. And again, when we're talking about ownership and this whole concept of everything, we're always going to come back to well-being. What is in your best interest? What is serving you and what is not serving you? And how are you taking ownership over your life and doing what you need to live your best life? And only you are the boss. Only you know what is right for you. And we're kind of in this cool, wild, wild west where we have a lot to choose from and we have a lot of tools to tap into. It's just figuring out what is that perfect recipe for you and your life. So when we're talking about this concept, I don't want it to be this lowbrow, you know, let's talk about drugs and make it catchy and edgy. No, 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 no. It has nothing like that. It's not even that space. We're talking about mental well-being and tools that are out there. And we're also going to talk about the harm of not using those tools in an appropriate way and knowing when the difference is and how to justify and maintain that ownership, even when you have no ownership of where your mental capacity might be going on that trip, let's say, but still maintaining ownership. Yeah, you bring up some very, very good things. And I, I think when it comes to to drugs, there, there, there's always the, the, the thing of st- or stigma that comes with using illicit drugs. I mean, let's face it. At one point in time, a majority of us have used something, whether it be alcohol. And despite my own personal beliefs that alcohol is not a drug, it, 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 is, a drug. it is a drug. And so, but there also, there's also other things that when it comes down to it is, is a, when you think about drugs, you also think about, I mean, prescription, prescription med- drugs, prescription medications, Zoloft, Xanax, all of those. Well, as, 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 as someone who used, uh, they, they were classified as antidepressants, but, or in the same family as antidepressants, but I used um, for my seizure disorder, I was using medication that made me a friggin' zombie. And while they were good to help treat and keep my seizures, you know, in check, yeah, it also made me feel lethargic. Um, it really screwed with my libido. It basically made me feel like I was walking in a constant fog, and it sucks. But I had it was it was one of those where they use the, the you know the the risk benefit analysis where they say the risks or the, the the benefits outweigh the risks. Of course, and, and so it, it. But I got to a point health wise with other things. Good there that allowed me to taper down off those medications and not be on them anymore. And see, that's huge. Taking wellness, taking ownership of other areas in your life so that you didn't have to be dependent on pharmaceutical it, usage. But there is a stigma where sometimes even the most healthy wellness guru, granola, I fit that category. You need to plug in and ask for some far pharmaceutical assistance. And there shouldn't even be shame around that. I personally felt that after my son... And on the heels of my divorce, I had to get on um, medicine. I had to. I was on. I was on Paxil for a minute, and then I went to Zoloft. And I had such a stigma, and I felt so defeated and so shamed that I was on it. And it's so ridiculous to feel that way because it was meant to be a tool. It wasn't a life sentence. It wasn't. A negative. It was a tool in the toolbox until I could get myself to open up that capacity 
it within myself again, where I didn't need that medical intervention to force that capacity. I was unable to get that capacity. It was tapped out and that medicine just helped me access that so that I wasn't always, you know, losing it. And it was temporary. I've been off it for a long time. But again, when we're talking about drugs, it's not just illicit drugs. It's just not illegal drugs. It's not legal drugs. It's pharmaceutical. We're talking about all of it. If it alters your state of being or your biochemistry, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. And the one thing that I notice a lot, and I don't know if you've seen this in the news, which I found very interesting is there's a really new drug on the market. It's for diabetics and it's called Ozempic. And I believe it's an injectable or it might be a, might be oral pill. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but one of the key things they found on it was that people were, that were people that were taking the medication in clinical trials were losing weight, which is good when you're diabetic. You want to make sure that you're, you're, you're losing weight because you don't want your A1C mm-hmm. to be too high. Now what is happening is doctors are prescribing this just for people to lose weight. And it's actually having consequential side effects with your internal organs because it's not made just to be a weight loss drug. Yeah, I could go for a long time. At the end of the day, I'm old school. Get off your booty, change what you're putting on your plate. What you put in is what you get out and you have to move. Body in motion stays in motion. You need to keep moving. Um, but I'm, I'm all about what can you take control over and what can you handle? And then if you need medical intervention, thank God we have it. That's why it's there. It's a tool, but it shouldn't be the first, uh, in my opinion, unless it needs to be, it shouldn't be the first, uh, let's go there. Okay. So let's talk about this one real quick. You know, I love beer. You know, I love alcohol in general, Yeah. but you know how much I love beer, especially craft beer and stuff like this. Yeah. So let's think about it this way. Some people say, yes, I agree to disagree. I don't think it is a drug, but again, it alters your state and whatnot. But do you really think that alcohol is a drug? Yes. I come from alcoholics and I can tell you their behavior as full-blown alcoholics. It was a disease that overtook their body and their life and caused immense damage to not only them as a person, but anyone in their vicinity. Um, completely misused um, their actions and behavior. They themselves have a tremendous guilt over that and they would never operate that way if it wasn't for the alcohol, because once you remove it, they don't operate and would never do some of those actions and behavior. So absolutely. Alcohol is a drug. Um, it's everybody's chemistry. Everybody is different. So like, for example, um, myself, I've been flirting with sobriety a lot these days and it's, it's a myriad of reasons, not because I've had like one incident where I went, Oh, whoop. I might be like my parents, nothing that severe, but it's a myriad of things of health. I can tell you that when I do drink, I, I bloat, I don't feel as healthy. I'm not fully optimized. My workouts are harder. Um, my energy level dips and I don't like feeling like that. I like being able to fully be me. So when that substance is in my life, it changes who I am. So that in turn is why it's definitely a drug. And then it becomes to the point of, okay, well, you know, it's not that I'm drinking to get drunk, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of things I want to do and a lot of things I want to get done. And the days that I seem to have drinks or go out for drinks, those things don't happen the way I want them to happen or go the way I would have normally 
operated if that wouldn't have been in the scenario. So for me, it's a myriad of that. And then also, um, if you look at the research, again, it's taking ownership. What benefit? How is this serving me? So I could drink every night of the week. I have social engagements. I entertain. I love events. I'm very social and gargarious. There's always alcohol all around. That is, that is too easy. It's too easy. But at the end of the day, how is it serving me? What benefit is it giving me? Am I getting enlightened from this? Am I being able to have thoughts that maybe I didn't have because of the noise and distractions around me? What benefits are stacking when I use whatever it is? And in this case, alcohol. And there really isn't a lot. Yeah, I might feel stress relief. I might get a little more fun. I might get a little more loud. Maybe my dance moves improve. I'll take it. You know, okay, cool. That's nice. But that's, that's shallow. That's shallow shit. That's nothing. But then I flip it here, okay? And this is what I'm, where I'm going to go. And I write about this a lot in the book, actually. So in my 20s, I was dealing with some pretty, pretty heavy stuff from my parents and life and just stuff. We all have stuff. I had some stuff and it was part of the rave culture that had just blown up. And I'm talking, when I say rave culture, Coachella was actually a rave put on by golden voice. It was not the Coachella, you know, today we'd have to go to map points. Now I'm dating myself where you would get a phone number. You'd call it from a payphone. They'd tell you where to go. And that would be like this meat packing warehouse in downtown Los Angeles, super shady. And it would be like the best warehouse party of your life. Okay. That was the day. So there was a drug that had came on the scene at that point, And it goes by a lot of names, E, Molly, ecstasy, MDMA, whatever you want to call it. I don't care, but it was somewhat pure at that point, I assume. And there was a time where I interacted with that experience and that drug. And it was used as a tool to help me unlock and process some things that I could not access on my own accord, even though I tried. And when I would try, they'd be too traumatic. They'd be too devastating. I would end up getting in a standstill or, um, pulling back and not doing what I needed to do to get to what I needed to get to the core of the issue to solve it, to honestly let it lay rest, acknowledge it, love it, honor it, and let it go on, move out of my life so I could move on and be the best version of myself. And one day after I got to a conclusion of one big thing in my life, I felt like that was good. It served its purpose. I didn't need it. And I hadn't done it since then, I literally just could walk away from it. It wasn't a big deal. It served its purpose. It was, I used it constructively. I got a lot of great benefits out of it. And there was never any shame, guilt, bad behavior, or any moments on that one in particular where I went, Ooh, shouldn't have done that. Or, Ooh, that wasn't the best version of myself or, Ooh. And now it's really ironic because people are now talking about doing it in microdosing and even clinicians are assigning it to patients with PTSD. And I did my own case study as a, you know, ignorant 20 year old on myself. And I've always known this. And even my ex-husband will testify to this because when you're in an intimate partnership and a relationship, like you are in a husband and wife, you share things. So I, he knew about this. I shared with him my history as we do in deep relationships and where I come from and what I had worked through to be the better human I am and the better partner I could be in a relationship because I wasn't bringing some stuff with me and I had closure. So he knows this too. And will testify to it. So what's really interesting about this is 
I went through my divorce. My son almost died. He was in critical condition for over two months. I mean, it was just insanity. I was so burnt from my job, my career, my obligations of trying to be wife and business owner and mother and trauma. It was just obnoxious. It was un- it was inhumane what I was dealing with on my own accord. I had to go to my um, psychologist, psych- psychiatrist, and I had to get put on um, um, Zoloft to open that, that bandwidth to be able to deal with how I was just at my threshold. And it was temporary. It was definitely a Band-Aid. It didn't get to any of the root causes, but it gave me some breathing room to start to work through some stuff and do what I needed to do to eventually get out of it. I recently was curious because of my past history, and now I'm not breastfeeding, I'm not pregnant, I'm not planning on it, my kids have time away from me, I can be an adult, I have adult time where there is no children in my space where I can do adult things and go back to myself. So I recently microdosed MDMA again. And I'll tell you what, the exact same things that I experienced that were profound, unlocking, cathartic, incredibly healing, incredibly peaceful, and not peaceful things. It was like being able to honor that and let it go and say goodbye to it. And I got the same thing on a microdose than whatever I was doing in my 20s, which was definitely not microdosing. Um, And it was so powerful that it brought me onto this topic. And in the book, I had not microdosed or had done any of this stuff um, when I wrote the book and when the book got published. But right now I was curious to do my own little case study again. And I'll tell you what, I almost somewhat regret I didn't do it when I really needed it. And I've never said that about alcohol. I've never said that about any other drugs. I actually hate marijuana. I can't, I don't smoke marijuana. Um, I live in Southern California, 420 culture, not my jam, never was my jam in high school. I was not that cool kid hanging out doing that. But I'll tell you what, the therapeutic cathartic value I got off of a Sunday night in my house literally doing nothing but me, myself, and I for four hours was priceless and such a gift. I know it sounds crazy, but it was such a gift to myself. And that's, that's where this gets really interesting is when I say flirting with sobriety and flirting with, uh, sobriety and playing with that, I'm talking about really leaving alcohol. Cause now I have this weird conclusion from all of this that I would rather not drink alcohol and maybe once a year, once a quarter, do some MDMA and actually do something that has value to my mind and to my soul and to my mental well-being, not something that has proven statistical data of doing the exact opposite, but we pretend it's not doing that. Yeah, you bring up some good points there. And I mean, I know that, um, as you said, with psilocybin, that there is a big push, especially within the mental health community, to use microdosing and psilocybin or, or magic mushrooms. And I'm not doing that yet. Well, I get that. But when, when, you, when you say microdosing, the classic, the sure. classic People thought are gonna think is of, that. Of, of, of mushrooms. That's where it started. But the, the problem is, is that it has been clinically proven to help 
So yeah. help people, especially those with severe PTSD. I, I read a report. I'm my own testimonial. I, I read a report about, about a, a young uh, Marine or Army soldier who had spent time in the Middle East and Afghanistan, stuff like that, was, who was dealing with traumatic PTSD, severe PTSD. The doctor started doing microdosing, uh, of course, clinically. They were watching him and whatnot of using psilocybin to help with treat his, his PTSD and mm-hmm. the, the life he lived before compared to the life that he lives now yeah. are night and the day. The wellness spectrum unlocks. It's incredible how overall wellness improves with this. And you bring up a very interesting point about like marijuana. Now I, I know that you're not a marijuana user. Um, um, I'm not going to out myself hundred percent just yet, but um, there are things like CBD whatnot that have been you that are being used right now to help treat people i am a proof of that because um with uh, as like a, a gummy like eating gummies not even gummies because i oil I, I, with using a straight cbd oil so zinc um, gets that for arthritis yeah and so, and <laughs> so w- one of the things is, is that my uh, my neurologist of all people who's yeah. gonna who's who's gonna prescribe pills and, and other stuff sure. over that she's like i suffer from debilitating migraine headaches and she's like jay cbd will be more than helpful with you with that. I started doing that and saw a drastic difference yeah. from how often I got migraine headaches to when I did have a migraine. And I'm talking like severe, like yeah. the, the small- Draw the curtains, the, lay down. Not even like that. It's like, I want to be in a ball under a blanket Ooch. in darkness. And if the smallest amount of noise would send me up a wall. Oh my it, gosh. It, it's, it's debilitating. I suffered a head injury a long time ago. Yeah. And, and it's a traumatic brain injury. And it, that's a, time, a story for another time. But seeing the effects of knowing that if I just a little drop every day under the tongue and that if I did have one, it wasn't as severe where I'm using hardcore prescription narcotics, mm-hmm. which as we all know, if you're using mm-hmm. Vicodin or mm-hmm. Norco or whatever, mm-hmm. can cause severe constipation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Where I was using something and almost- addiction. And addiction. Opiates are scary oh, opiate right addiction now. is horrible. Oof. I mean, if you talk about the, the, the problem with Oxycontin, that's a, that's a whole other thing we can get into in just a moment. But- Fentanyl. It, it, it's, 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 there are things out there that can treat and if used Properly, Yes. Now, if we get on to the other part of this, so we're talking about the, the stuff of if you don't use stuff properly, is somebody that's using stuff just to get high because they're, they're trying to escape from something or is it because they have an underlying mental health issue, which is an addictive personality? Well, that's a clinical psychology question. I'm a coach. That's above my pay grade. So I'm out on that one. But what I can tell you is... <laughs> I write about this in the book, and this is my whole theory on anything that comes with drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, gambling, cigarettes, line it up, shopping, retail, all of it, okay? If you cannot have ownership over it, you cannot control yourself, it becomes impulsive, where immediately after you do it or have done it, you regret it. You are, you've lost control. Call it addict call it whatever you want. It doesn't need to be labeled in my opinion, but you don't have ownership of it. That's a problem. It now owns you. And when you get into that space, you have no wellness. 
something else is driving you and it's not for the right reasons, right? It's, it's, it's unhealthy no matter what it is. Okay. Even if it's not something going in your body internally, it's unhealthy. It could be the stimulants around you. So my whole thing is again, maintaining that ownership. So if there becomes a moment in time where you tell yourself, God, I really don't want to drink today. I, I you know, I'm not going to drink at this event. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to drink at this event. I'm just going to have a Coke or diet Coke or some bubbly water. And you end up getting that drink. You're going to feel like crap. A, because you're going to shame yourself. We are our own worst enemy. Maybe while you're having that drink, interacting with people, you're fine. It's good. No regrets. Woohoo. Living it up. You're cool. But as soon as you get in your car, hopefully you're not driving drunk, but as soon as you get away from everybody and you reflect, you're going to be really disappointed at yourself because you knew what you wanted to do and you didn't do it. That is the wake up call. That is the moment where you got to go, okay, shit, e-brake. I have no ownership. Now the severity of that, again, it's your life. It's your judgment call. You're the boss. But for me, the moment that that happens, I got to go e-brake in it. And and then I, you know, I'm a little insatiable where I, I want to be the best I can always be. And I'm okay doing hard work and I'm okay doing things that aren't instantly gratifying for the bigger play. So right now with my flirting with sobriety, that's what it is. I, I'm really trying to understand and challenge my own thought beliefs and my own self after years of being in a social environment and around alcohol all the time, vendors, sponsors, alcohol brands, events. I mean, I lived in alcohol world and that's okay. It was great. I'm not going to change anything about it, but my, my challenge right now to my own self is what value is it bringing? Now, I recently went to a couple events where I didn't drink. And it was really challenging because it's so, it's such a routine. It's just like automatic. And it wasn't that I was like, I have to drink. I need this drink to get to the event. It was not, it's just gargarious talking, going to the vendor. I knew one of the alcohol reps that was there behind the bar. They want to tell me about their new label and pour me to try it. I mean, it, it was, it's just so in my face. It was hard to just be like, no. But the funny thing is it, for how uncomfortable it was to say, um, you know, I'm not drinking the most amazing thing happened, Jay. I was, I, I was the one that was a little more hesitant and like maybe uncomfortable. Everybody was just like, Oh, awesome. I, I wasn't drinking last month or, Oh, have you tried this new brand by what was one of the singers, Katy Perry, I think it is. They were like, have you tried her wine? And I was like, no, I mean, if I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink fake wine. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't need that, but go for you. I will put aptogens. Like I have, um, apothecary drops in my little bubbly water here that are, that they're take the edge off. I love that thing. You know, so I like some of those kind of aptogen fun things that you can put in to act like some of the effects of alcohol when it comes to like stress relief, maybe. But, um, it was so funny. I was met with such no big deal. It was all my own stinking thinking, but this is why I say flirting with sobriety right now is it's, it's not that I can't drink I am choosing and I'm challenging myself right now with what value is it bringing to me? What am I getting from it? Now, if I go to a nice wine dinner, that's an experience. It's the E in ownership. I want to hear about that that from the Saumonier, about the winemaker and his family and the grapes and why that varietal is what it is. There's a romance to that too. And I'm a sucker for that. You know, I'm down for that. That's an experience that has a time and place. But other than that, where's the value? You know, that's what I'm coming back to. Where's the, I want, I want all the good right now. 
And I get what you're saying is like for, for myself, I, I wouldn't call it sobriety because I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a beer drinker. I love a good martini. I love to, you know, go out and have a good time. Am I getting hammered all the time? No, because a hangover for somebody my age is a three to four to five yes. day process. Okay. I'm not 22 anymore. I'm not, you know, I, what I started really feeling was after 30. This is true. But, but again, it's, I just don't want to be like, like lethargic like to that, but I stopped drinking during the week. I mean, occasionally, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to meet some friends, maybe I'll have one beer, but I'm not having two or three or four or whatever like I would do on a weekend if we're all out bar hopping or going out and watch college football or even if I'm down at the Padres game because I'll be the first one to tell you when I go to a Padres game, uh, I'm down there with my son and I will have one or two tall cans and that's, you know, four beers right there, but I'm doing it over the span of a, an entire baseball game, but it's, it's what I do. I just did. Speaking of that, I just did the final game home game of the season mm-hmm. with my kids. And it was the first pod game, a game I went to where I didn't have any drinks. Yeah. I went and I had no alcohol. Kudos to you. And I love those cut water cans. I know That's my go-to cut water, the cut water cocktails are good. But the thing is, is like, for me, it's like, if I'm going to drink, I mean, heck I went to dinner with my mom, my mom and dad the other day, we each killed three beers a piece. And of course, it was Coors Light, so it's like drinking like you know water, pee water, <laughs> pretty much. You said it, not me. In case Coors Light's listening right now, but again, it's like I don't, I don't really drink during the week. And for me, that's my, I would say my partial sobriety. Just for me, going, you know what, my week's busy as it is already, and I just don't feel like escaping with alcohol because there was one point in my career, and especially during the pandemic, where I would come home and I would have two or three beers, or even four, sometimes I polish off a six pack, I'm realizing, what the hell am I doing? I'm using- See, you took ownership, you I'm, checked yourself. Yeah, I'm using alcohol to numb myself because of all the crap that I'm dealing with in the world as a news producer, and it was just too much. And yeah. I realized that that not only that, I'm gaining a whole bunch of weight during COVID, yes. and I'm going, this is not good, this is not healthy. So that's why I just, I'm like, I'm just doing it during the weekends, if I do it at all. And if I do, I mean, for me, like I said, you go to, a, I go to a beer festival, it's like unleashing the Hulk. I'm going to go and I'm going to have a good time and I'll probably stumble back to (laughs) the Uber or whatnot. But it's, 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 it's for me, that's my fun stuff. But again, I I keep it within the limits that I know because I don't want to um, experience that hangover, that health related issues that come with excess. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe from a woman's perspective and a vantage point is it's one thing like, I don't know. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's wisdom with age. I have no clue all this stuff, but it's really hard now for me to even be in a bar and see a woman who is attractive, physically attractive. You can tell she took pride in what she put on that day. She had an agenda. She looks good and she might be on a date or she might be with her girlfriends and she is just a mess. An absolute mess because she drank too much. And I find it really hard to witness that and bear witness that. And I don't, I don't want to be ever perceived like that. Not that I get there, but I mean, we're all human. We've all drank too much. We've all had those nights out with our girlfriends or, you know, emotional things are going on in our life and we go a little too far. We're all guilty of that. Shit, I'm definitely guilty of that. I'm not going to pretend I'm not, but I don't want that. That is not me. And I have enough self-respect and also control to, to not want to be that anymore or ever again. And it makes my heart hurt now when I see that happening because all I see is 
that person is doing exactly that. Something is going on in their life or they're so uncomfortable on that date or they're so not into the person they're with. This is the tool they're doing. And it's just sad. Could it be that, you know, there's a little bit of guilt there and, or even, 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 even after the fact, when you're using it, you're, you feel guilty for, I mean, for me, it's like when I, the times that I've been hung over, I'm not so much guilty, but I'm going, dang it. I, I should have never done that. should have done that because now I feel like crap. And you know, I, I'm, this is what I've, I've, I've tortured my own self. Correct. You know? So, so how could, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to way to, to word this and I'm, I'm, I'm drawing blanks right now, but it's, 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 is there guilt with us when we're, when we're, we've done this to ourselves, or we, we put this or we've, we put this stuff in our body and what, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Oh, you mean like, is there guilt with doing ecstasy? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't no, guilt, I've never felt that. Not so much guilt with doing ecstasy because I, th- I think that anybody that's going to do any sort of drug or whatever knows. I'm very specific yeah. about that drug. Yeah. Knows the consequences that are going to happen. It's like someone that does cocaine, they know the consequences that can happen with, with, with doing that. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is, is what can happen with the wrong uses of using any sort of you alcohol. lose complete ownership of your life. You kill somebody driving your car home. You have sex with the wrong person. You get somebody pregnant. You get pregnant. Um, you die. You get you get a disease. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You get taken advantage of. You get human trafficked. <laughs> you get your organs sold. I mean, we could get really gnarly. I mean, there's. I mean, I don't want to be a fear monger, but there's a million case scenarios or just the fact that you wake up hungover, feel like crap. And for the next four days, you're not a present parent with your children, or you're not a present spouse because of one night you went out with your friends or colleagues or coworkers. That's really shameful. That's really crappy. That would, that would kill me. I couldn't do that. You know, I don't want to do that. Um, but that's where this interesting thing comes in with this topic of like microdosing and alternatives to alcohol and, and aptogens and different, you know, um, CBD oils and all these alternatives that can give you stress relief and, or maybe even mental clarity and have this therapeutic component to it. But at the end of the day, doesn't matter what your poison is. Okay. Whatever your thing is that you're doing, even if it's just pharmaceutical, you have to maintain that ownership over it. You have to have a clear define, what is it doing for me? What is it bringing to the table? Am I in control or is it? Can I limit to two drinks or do I always end up with that third? You know, where is that baseline? And only you can be the designated authority on it. But at the end of the day, if you don't have ownership over yourself, your mental well-being, and your ability to have outside stimuluses affect it, you have to, you you need to check yourself for a second. You need to have a sit down with your own self. Yeah, that couldn't have worded it better myself. I think that's very good advice. But again, if you can't if you can't handle it, don't do it. Yeah. So yeah, that, that pretty much is it. Yeah, I mean, if if you feel like crap after it, you probably shouldn't do anything that makes you feel like crap. Why do you want to feel like crap? Don't be a masochist. So, anyways, um, yeah. The thoughts on drugs and booze and your mind and your mind. Use it for therapy. Can, can, can Use good, it to be can cathartic. Do things, but could it also do Bad, Bad things. things. So be aware and pick, pick strategically, right? And you know, what's really funny is if you don't, you can end up with a lot of shame, 
grief and guilt. And what's ironic about it is our next podcast episode in two weeks is going to be all on that grief and guilt. It could be self-caused or the loss of someone near and dear to you. It's a big topic and we're going to dive into it in two weeks. But thank you so much for listening to the Ownership Podcast. Thank you to my producer, Jay. I, I love these conversations with you. It's so interesting. And to our listeners, I appreciate you. And I can't wait for maybe in the next four episodes, we might have an opportunity where you can call in live and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these topics. So make sure you're commenting, you're subscribing, you're sharing this with your friends, your network. And again, I'm going to challenge you. Until you hear from me and I hear from you, what is one action step you can take to take ownership over your life? If you liked today's episode, be sure to subscribe, share, and like. Don't forget to join our community by connecting with ownership at take-ownership.com. You can buy the book, become a show supporter, join our monthly soul boardroom, and engage in free strategy coaching sessions with Allison. You can find all of this and more at take-ownership.com.